Hello and welcome to Office Hours with EAB. Our guest today was a first-generation college student who dropped out, returned a few years later, and then proceeded to earn a bachelor's, master's, and ultimately his doctor of education. Today, he leads an innovative program at North Carolina Central University designed to help young Black men build a sense of belonging and a sense of community that he says makes them better students and much more likely to graduate and launch successful careers. Give them a listen and enjoy. Welcome to Office Hours with EAB. I'm Michael Schwengel, Student Success Strategic Leader at EAB and a dedicated consultant to our partner institutions using Navigate, our student success management system. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Roderick Keith, Director of the Men's Achievement Center and the African American Male Initiative at North Carolina Central University. Dr. Heath, welcome. Well, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me today. It's an honor to, to be here to talk about some things that I'm passionate about. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Dr. Heath, I'd love to begin with a little bit of background about yourself, NCCU, and the historical challenges related to Black male student success. Can you talk a bit about your institution and some of the metrics that guide your work? Yeah, so a little bit about me. Um, I, I'm a first-gen student myself. Um, I was a sports guy in, in high school, um, and I wasn't an engaged student. All I thought about was sports and athletics, and so I went to Livingstone College first and then finished, quit. And I went back to Central at the age of 22. I um, had two bags of clothes and hit uh, 85, and I never knew what Durham looked like. And so that's where my work began, just getting there changed my life. Um, and so at the time when I came, um, Central was in the process of growing. Um, we've grown so much since I graduated in 2006. And so the institution has really grown, has hit about 5,000 plus undergrad and you add in uh, the law school and the other graduate programs, pretty, pretty decent sized university. And so um, on this campus, um, when, I, when I came, there wasn't a men's achievement center. So a lot of those young men that came in with me um, didn't graduate. Um, a lot of them didn't graduate. Um, a lot of them played sports and didn't graduate. And so recently we just started this program called the end zone program. And so what happened was I started going back, asking some of my guys that came in with me, um, have you heard about this end zone program? It starts you off where you left out, where you left at. And so, so if you left during your junior year, they would start your credits from there and put you in this behavior science degree. And so I've been recruiting friends to come back as well. And so now at North Carolina Central, a lot of metrics we do now, we're looking at the, the scale of how students come in now. Um, for oftentimes, we try to put all these students in the same box, the same structure. And as a, as a university, we had to break it down into increments of small silos of what is needed. You know, you had your first gen student, you had your senior parent home student, you had your distant ed student, you had your rural student. And so how do we as a university make sure that we tap into everybody's true potential? And so, um, you know, we create these different initiatives. Um, the Men's Achievement Center started in 2009 um, right around the time where they were trying to increase their enrollment for uh, African-American males. And so here we are today on cohort 13. Mm. And with those points in mind, can you share a few more details about the Men's Achievement Center and the African-American Male Initiative, which you serve as the director of, how the program came to be, how it is supported and maintained, and how the student cohorts are selected and structured? 
Sure. So what, what this program, why I find it so amazing is that they started in 2009. Um, they began with bringing in cohorts of 100 students. Uh, and so at that time, you know, that was a that was a big number for the office. And so uh, what we do, we don't look at GPAs coming in. Right. If you get accepted into the university uh, we go on a recruitment tour, we send all the freshman males um, uh, letters and saying, hey, how are you doing? Uh, this is the Men's Achievement Center, the African-American Male Initiative. We want to help you through your transition through college. And so when they started out in 2009, they realized that bringing in 100 students may not be the right thing to do with, so you know, with your staff. You don't have the, the capacity to help all these students. And so we broke it down to cohorts of 40. Um, we felt like 40 was a good number um, that we could follow and we could really see some residual uh, successes. And so over the years, the program have went through different um, metrics and different changes. And now we feel like we have the perfect model. It still could use some work. And so what I do, I recruit freshmen, um, have parent meetings, I call, contact the, the, the counselors in the area. And then we have a, a meeting with each student. So I meet with each, each student just to make sure um, it's something that you want to be in because I don't want you to just sign up for something and not be engaged. And some young men come from high school and like, look, I just want to be a free college student. I just want to, and I'm like, okay, uh, in this program, you can have freedom, but some guys still decide, no, nah, I don't want to do it. But oftentimes those guys come back around by their sophomore year looking to be looking for some help. And so with our program, we break them down to cohort model. Like I said earlier, we're in cohort 13. And so we have from senior down to freshman. And with these models, we try to make sure each cohort is doing something different. So freshmen are particularly focused on acclimation, getting you engaged on campus, making sure you join clubs, making sure you know how to navigate the, commu the, the community, which is the university, we call it the community, and making sure that you're, you're successful so that you were returning your sophomore year. You know, you may have some hiccups your freshman year, but that's okay. Sophomore year, we focus on, okay, let's look at, that, let's look at your freshman year. You came back, so that lets us know you want to continue this education journey. And so we do a lot of one-on-ones. We do some uh, program planning. We do uh, goals and assessments with these young men during their sophomore year to make sure that they're in the, in the right, uh, one, the major, making sure you're in the right major. Uh, because by the time you get to a junior year, we want you to be solidified in your major, making sure that this is what you want to do for the rest of your life. And so that whole junior year, we're just focusing on uh, making sure you have a successful transition from your your, your freshman and sophomore courses into your major. And we setting that up. And then that senior year is solely focused on career development. So but if I get you through all these stages, by your senior year, we focus on uh, making sure you've had internships, making sure you have a LinkedIn page, making sure your resume is, 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 is solid, making sure that you're applying for jobs, grad school, applying for scholarships. So your whole senior year, that's all we work on. I don't really care about you coming to too much programming because over these four years, I feel like you've done enough programming. So if I can get you to your senior year, let's just focus on the exit plan. And so that's how we break it down. Mm. And in addition to, of course, these student cohorts representing the black male student population at NCCU, what are the other identifiers that are tracked by you and your team at the Men's Achievement Center as you select and support these students for matriculation through graduation? Well, we definitely look at uh, with our chancellor's initiative. He's he he has a heavy focus on getting rural students um, to the university, right? So we look at a lot of the rural areas. We recruit heavy in North Carolina and some of the rural areas. If you know some of these rural areas with the mean income is twenty seven thousand, thirty thousand a year, 
And so we focus heavy on rural first-gen students. Uh, we focus heavy on STEM because we have a, a great STEM program now. Um, and we recently just connected with different programs as far as like the Marathon Teacher Institute. So we're looking for young men who want to be teachers. And so uh, with that being said, our focus is really to find men in the trenches, find out where they are, uh, go to the community colleges, find out which young men want to transfer or looking to extend their education journey. And so um, that's how we really look at it. We really engage with the counselors on the, on the K to 12 level and seeing like which young man has that potential, but may not even know it. And so that's when I call to reach out, set up an appointment with their parents and let them know that we really want to recruit them. If they come in my program, I will follow them for four years and I will treat them um, like they were mine. You know, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm going to call them out when they're doing wrong and I'm going to love them up when they're doing right. And I think once you, once parents know that their child is going to something that's going to look out for their best interest, they're more prone to discuss the program and push the program. And so we never have an issue with getting students in. We always fill up fast and I always end up with a waiting list of young men who are looking to join the program. Yeah. Now, you've spoken a bit about the year-over-year -year journey of students participating in the AAMI program. Can you talk a bit more about the living learning community model and other areas of focus of the program, like mental health and belongingness? Okay. So, as you know, you think about it, a freshman student, depending on where you're from, let's take a student from California comes to North Carolina. And, you know, that's a totally different environment from which he is used to. And so that's when that, that mental health come in. We're not thinking like mental health where you need some type of medication, just a mental health, like you're in a new space, you don't you feel like you don't belong, the weather is cold at times. And so we put them in these living learning communities. Um, and I, I created a uh, partnership with the uh, residential life department because what I found out was once these young men decide their junior year, they wanna move off campus and then that's another barrier that they, that they face and you gotta pay bills now, now you gotta work. Now you're gonna slack somewhere in your education, right? And so, with the new facilities having kitchens and individual rooms, we create a four-year living learning community. And we have uh, several floors of just our guys. And so now it becomes a learning hub, a study hall hub. Guys belong to each other. They know who is who. Um, they go down the hall for support. And so what we found out of these living learning communities is that they were some of the most well-organized because we would think all these young men on these four floors, we know it's gonna be total chaos but it was a total opposite. What we, what we learned is they found a community and they found out that they started helping each other. When someone needed a ride to the store and when somebody needed something, they would share um, times they would play video games together. And you, you created this brotherhood of making sure every, no man was left behind. Something is similar to the army. That's something that we always say. And the beauty of this thing was we were voted the best organization as far as that living learning community because we had no issues um, no fights, no nothing. It was just young men just having fun, being able to come and engage and feeling like this is our hub, this is our brotherly our community. And the beauty of it was when, when random guys would come to the area, they would know. So they was like, we don't know this guy that's on the hall, or is this he with y'all? So they became territorial to make sure nobody messes up their space because uh, with this, they would get, um, before housing, it would open up for my guys before any students got to choose rooms. And so that was another perk because I don't have scholarships. And so when we moved to this mental health aspect, you know, I used to do like uh, room checks, not looking for any, anything illegal, anything, right. Just to check on them. Right. Cause I also believe that 
the room tells me a story as well. So I'm knocking on the door and I see a young man, his room is in disarray. And I'll be like, this looks like depression. This looks like something else. And so I could see how they live in. And so that was when I noticed that I really need to do some, some mental health conversations. I would bring in the counseling center. Uh, we started this program called Brother, You're Not Superman. And we would have these round circle focus groups where these young men would disclose their kryptonite for the week. And whether it was I party too much, I, I hung out, I played video games when I should have been studying. I hung out with too many young ladies this week. Or, you know, I even indulged in some, some drugs or marijuana this week. And I tell them to be open. This is not a judgmental space. This is a space to know your weaknesses. And as a team, we're going to come together and find ways for you to uh, learn from your mistakes so that you won't do it again. And so mm-hmm. they, the young men, be, they be begging, we're going to have another round, sir. They want to start uh, exploring. And lastly, I'll say to that question with the mental health, I started a hugging program. When you come in the building, you see your brother, just give him a hug. Say, how you doing today, man? And so... You never know what that young man is going through today. And once it teaches young man, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to go through something, but you have to uh, share those feelings so that we can help you get through those feelings. And so that's why the mental health piece is real important for me. Mm. As we think about some of those tactics and strategies, and as we think about EAB's Navigate platform, how is it that your team is leveraging this technology to ensure the success of the students participating in the African-American Male Initiative Program? Well, I think the system is great because, you know, we can look at uh, students' GPAs. We can look at who is attached to that student, who their advisor is, um, who some of the professors that they're taking. Um, I can send all out emails to my students all by a click of a button. Um, I can get alerts when the students are not going to class. I can run I can run a spreadsheet and say, let's see who didn't go to class today. And if the if faculty and staff put that those attendances in the system, I can see. And from there... I could email all my students who didn't go to class and say, um, come and see me today. What's going on with you? I've seen that you've missed two or three classes. And then also the fact that it gives me data, it gives me real-time data of what meetings um, the faculty leave notes inside of the system. And so we all can read it. So now um, they can tell me one thing. And I was like, nah, that's, that's not what your uh, professor put in the notes. And so now it gives us leverage over them too. So you know, it's kind of like that. Uh, father, daughter, uh, father, uh, mother a situation when the child try to play the parents against each other. Like, no, we have mm-hmm. the data. I have, I know you miss class. So now that they know that, they know that I might as well be open and honest. And so for us, just tagging those students and I can keep up with them, it makes my job so much easier uh, because all I have to do is go in the system and just pull the data. It gives me scores. I know the midterm grades. Um, I can see it all. And so the, 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 it's all of a click of a button. So when I when I email all my students and I could tell which student uh, looked at the email, replied. And so I think the Navigate system is great for me. Um, it's helped us really transform how we work with students and faculty. And I know through some of our conversations that Navigate has been used to support grant compliance and reporting. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that data is then used to help fund the program? Yeah, so... Part of our program is fun. It's a two-part program. So the Men's Achievement Center, that's for all men that want some some, some support on the campus. But but the African-American Male Initiative is supported by uh, Title III, which is a federal grant. And so every quarter, um, I have some mandates that I have to do with the young men. For instance, um, one-on-one meetings. And so 
if I set up meetings, I have to email the students. They want to see correspondence. Did you, how many students did you email this month? And they want to see examples of those. And so I can just pull out the system and show that I emailed all my students a total of 50 times during this quarter. And I can just show them examples of certain emails that I sent. They don't want to see them all, but they just want to make sure that we, we maintain in contact. And so when I want to pull those GPAs, you know, Navigate gives you uh, visuals that I can screenshot of, you know, the trajectory of a student, the GPA, the you know, the credit hours, how close the student is to graduation. And so that information makes my reporting easy because once I pull the visuals down, all I have to do is write to what the data is telling me is going on, which uh, it helps my reporting because I never uh, get any, uh, uh, like, what's this mean? Like, they're so clean. And so the uh, federal government always, uh, we've been able to keep the highs you can get and point value is the 3.0. Uh, we've never been under a 3.0 since I've been there, just because yeah. the data's collection is so precise and we can write off that data. So I think that's why we love the system and that's why it helps us. Mm. And as we talk about leveraging technology to positively impact outcomes, can you speak a bit more about the student outcomes that have been achieved by your AAMI program? Yeah, so I would say um, my past senior group, um, the last three, two cohorts, uh, the average GPA was 3.0, um, a higher graduating, um, you know, a majority of them guys went on to grad school. Um, we have a 90% retention rate, um, and that's all being consistent, being able to email, being able to contact the professor staff, their, their advisors, their academic advisors. So we one unit. Um, the system has allowed us to just create spaces and I can pull a student in my office and pull up the Navigate system. He can watch it with me and I can let him see the behind the scenes uh, information. And that's why I think um, this, these, these students are visual. So when I show them this and I show them, okay, you failed. One, 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 one piece on that Navigate that I really enjoy that really uh, opened up one of my students' eyes. He had failed about six classes, right? And so what I did, I looked at the average credit, how much average credit hour cost, and I multiplied that by uh, the number of classes that he failed, and I put it into a numbers form and say, you, you, you flunked, and you've thrown away about four thousand uh, dollars, you know, on your journey, right? And so Navigate had all those classes I could just pull down. And it blew his mind. I put it into a, a visual form and a chart and showed him how much money was added on just because he wasn't doing what he needed to do in the classroom. So that I love that feature that they can really see what they what they uh, the classes that they failed in. Mm. And I know that both retention rates and four-year graduation rates for students participating in the AAMI program exceed that of the NCCU population at large, and also exceed that of the national average for black students. Can you talk a little bit more about that data? Well, for me, like I said, we, coll we collect data on everything. The number of contacts, we have a center. So every time they come in the center, they have to sign in or the number of times we see them on Navigate, you know. So with us, we're collecting data. I'm always using technology to see where they, see where they at. Like when I say see where they at, we use GroupMe, um, we use email, um, we use, Instagram, Facebook, I'm always engaging the guys. And so what I've learned that consistent contact, see with young men, majority of these young men play some type of sport. And with sports comes structure, becomes 
So they look at me sometimes as the coach. So I come in as a coach, whatever you see me as, um, father figure, uh, mentor, I really don't care as long as you do what you need to do to be successful. And so what we do is say, say for instance, I'm looking at my contact hours and I, I pulled a date and I said, well, I haven't seen John anytime this month. So that lets me know either he's going through something, he's not engaged, or or I need to make a contact with him. And so by by looking at all these different systems that we use, including Navigate, I, it lets me know which students are falling through, uh, through the cracks. And that's how we've been able to maintain. And so I have a group of graduate students who, who I call my success coaches, and I give them a list of students who we haven't seen or who are struggling right now. And then they go out and find that student, conduct one-on-ones, and they create a academic success plan with that student. And then they meet with me and then we'll finalize the plan. And then my success coaches follow that student throughout the semester. And so I feel like uh, with these young men, consistent contact, having system that provides you the trends. Because young men, people are trendy. That, that's If you look at technology, even you ever watch Facebook and then you say, I want to go to Best Buy. And next thing you know, TVs are popping up all on your, on your screen. So I look at it like that. They trendy, uh, they creatures of habit. And so I have to study their habits and find out who they are as a person. And that's how I can, that's how my national numbers are higher. Not saying that the university is not doing a great job, but I have a small, I have a smaller population. I'm more intentional of the work that I do. And our students have bought into what I'm selling them, meaning from being inducted into the program, we have a big induction ceremony, we have a parent committee. So now you're hearing it from me and I'm engaging your parents. So what's to come? Um, what kind of program is coming up? And so the parent is also reaching out to that young man and say, hey, I see Dr. Heap is having a financial literacy course. Make sure you attend. So I'm giving them the information and the father, the mother, whoever their the guardian is and say, you need to be there. So now we have a whole village approach around this young man because he's hearing it from me, his parents, faculty, staff, advisors, and everybody. Mm. And a few of those outcome metrics for our listeners, a 90% retention rate for students participating in the AAMI program as compared to 76% for NCCU overall, as compared to 68% as the national average for Black students. And uh, for a four-year graduation rate, 57% 57% for AAMI students versus 27% for NCCU overall versus 21% as the national average for black students. And I would, I would like to uh, attack that 57% for us, right? And I think that's going to change and be even higher. So what happened was when I first took over, I started seeing a trend of young men changing their major, right? And so I noticed I started going in and look, using Navigate again. I was looking at how many of these young men have repeated math courses or repeated Spanish courses? And so what I did, I connected and created a program with the UNC system called Math Pathways. And so we created, throughout COVID, we've been meeting monthly, creating, writing grants. So we're trying to build foundation classes because what happened was I had a young man from Thomasville, North Carolina, and he discussed that uh, during his senior year, he had a substitute the whole year, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, a substitute is not the same thing as a teacher. So when he got to campus, there were some areas in math that he was struggling with, but it wasn't his fault that he has a substitute teacher. And so the UNC system is trying to now to create foundational classes for young men who may feel like they didn't get the proper math uh, instruction. And also, we also have a, our, our first pilot all-male um, 
uh, black male math course that was taught this semester. So I'm, I'm excited to see those details in a few weeks. And so that mm-hmm. that is going to ch- change the game because these young men have flunked math once or twice, three times. And so that added on an extra semester or, you know, sometimes a year and a year and a half, depending on how their major set up. And so we hope with this math uh, foundational courses and providing this math structure that we can boost that 57 percent up as high as we can. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly impressive data-driven results that are both energizing and inspiring, and that I'm sure have our listeners asking themselves, how can I recreate what Dr. Heath has done at NCCU at my institution? And with that, I'd love your thoughts on best practices and considerations as one might set out to found a program that explicitly supports Black male students, both from the perspective of an HBCU as well as from the perspective of a predominantly white institution or PWI? Yeah, I, I would say the first thing is building a foundation. Um, I always say this, never bring in more than you can really uh, uh, pay attention to. Meaning oftentimes, you know, we build these capacities and we want to just bring them in, just to bring them in. If you don't have the support system, that hurts the student even more because now you, you've overloaded and brought all these participants in, you don't have the capacity or the staff to maintain the, the needs that they need because this this new generation has different needs than they had in the 90s, 2000s, in the 70s. So you have to look at your population. Um, I will also say you have to really, when I say build a foundation, um, this has to be a team effort. You have, you have to have academics involved. You need to have student affairs involved, uh, residential life involved. You really need to build a strong team, even accessibilities. Um, everybody needs to be involved, parents. And then when you're building this program, find the right staff, right? A lot of people, you have to be passionate with this work because with this work, there's going to be ups and downs. Um, I, I would be on here uh, doing you a disservice if I, if I say my program is perfect. There's days I have headaches from young men that I really see potential in and I, they don't see the potential in themselves. But my background, my history of my, uh, how I was raised, um, it pushes me to understand that you have to teach young men grit, right? And once we get past the, this imposter syndrome, I can get these young men to believe that they're, they, that they're supposed to be here and not just on a football field or dribbling a basketball. And so I would tell universities, uh, I'm gonna speak on the HBCU first. Uh, find the funds. There's funds on this campus. There's funds. Really look at um, uh, trimming the fat. Like, do we need all the funds um, to be uh, pushed to one area? For instance, in North Carolina Central, uh, my program is supported from residential life. You think about it. There's a lot of beds on campus, and so I get a percentage of that budget to produce, and that's how I have the living learning community. And so. Uh, we know we have to fill those beds. And so that's one of the bigger budgets on campus is housing. And so they provide us with that support. And when you look at the PWI, I work with NC State oftentimes, and they have a program, but they don't have a center on campus. Uh, it's kind of like uh, them finding space for them to get together once a month. And, and, I, and when I was doing my dissertation, I um, I looked at the difference between PWIs and HBCUs, and I looked at non-cognitive variables. and my research showed me the young men who were at PWIs felt isolated and alone. They felt like when they went into classrooms, uh, most people thought they were athletes. And so if they weren't an athlete, they were just a regular Joe just on campus. And sometimes they felt like, well, I'm not an athlete. Do I even, do they even see me? 
And you think about it, if you're at a big campus that has 20,000 students and majority of the, the black males on campus are sports, basketball, football, baseball, whatever, and it's only about 2,000 you guys here on a campus of 20,000, y'all in different majors, sometimes you're in, you're in rooms by yourself or you go to a major, you're the only brother in the room. And so you're looking around like, uh, how do I end up here? Um, I don't play football. Do they see me? Um, and you just feel out of place. It's just not, it's not even having to do that with nothing racial. It's just that common, common ground and just being in like spaces of seeing people like yourself motivates you to do other things. And so, um, once, you know, the athletes get their share, you know, they're in isolation. And so they, they kind of run in their own little circles. You kind of feel like an outcast. And then I think, um, on the PWI level, a lot of these young men struggle. So if you build these type of foundations, my goal is to, within the UNC system is to get a men's center on every campus. So if I was to happen to go to grad school at UNC Chapel Hill, I know for sure they have a men's center. So I know what they're, I know what they're there for. I know what they provide so I can get acclimated onto their campus because I'm going to have like-minded people there in the program. If I went to NC State, ECU or A&T, wherever I decide to go, there's a center. There's a place for me to get support and help. Um, I feel like, um, if we want to be successful in making sure these young men are, are here, because young men, minority men, are, they can be leaders or followers, right? And, and people say, why do you say that? Because if you look at society, you look at uh, fatherlessness, you look at homes, you look at gang activity, young men will follow that because there's a leader, someone had took the time to lead them, even though it may be down the wrong, the wrong track. So uh, vice versa, if you put them on a college, a campus, and you providing them services and you leading them and you showing them what it takes and what greatness looks like. And if you follow these tangible items that I put in front of you, you can get to the to the to the stage, you can graduate, you can go be successful, you can become a successful father, entrepreneur, what have you. And so I feel like um these systems have to be in place before you bring them there. I think we do a great job of entertaining our athletes. And this is not a shot at athletics, but you know, they do a good job of it. They have everything they need. But what about the other young men that you bring on campus? And that even goes to high school. You think about it. You have pet rallies for the athletes. What about the other just regular guys just going to high school or just trying to graduate? We have to build these systems and not box our minority men, our black males in. Like, okay, you belong over here. You're an elite athlete. You're just a student. So in the Men's Achievement Center, I provide these young men with with uh with with paraphernalia, shirts, polo shirts, uh, jackets. So when they go on campus, they feel like, yes, this is my brand. This is what I'm a part of. And they protect that brand. And so they try to make sure their other brother don't slip. Like when you put these coats on and when you put this shirt on, you go out with pride, you go in the classroom, you show up and you get the job done. And so it's kind of like their uniform. I'm teaching them like, this is your pride. You're not an imposter, you belong here. Yeah. Well, before we go, Dr. Heath, I wonder if you might offer your best pieces of advice to other student success leaders who aren't seeing the kinds of results they need or desire from the strategies and tactics they're currently using to support targeted populations of students at their respective institutions. I will say this. Um, one, you need to have a great system in place. Uh, Navigate, like I said, does the job for me. You need to have a great system in place. Um, you have you need a capacity. You need to 
really strategically plan uh, how you're going to motivate and support students and not just bring them on campus. I feel like that's a quote that comes to mind. Um, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men um, by Frederick Douglass. It's a quote that I live by. A lot of these students come from brokenness. And so be able to accept them and what they bring to the table. So I do a lot of surveying. I want these students to tell me what their needs are. And oftentimes as universities, this is what we offer. But what you offer may not support what that young man needs. So find their needs and build it. And so if you build it, they will come. And so I'll tell people all the time that don't look at these young men as, as not being able to do the work. These are geniuses. You just got to tap into their true potential and show them that they're wanted in those spaces um, because, you know, society, media portrays them in certain ways. And these young men really want to be heard, really want to be seen and really want to be productive citizens. And so I will say this, build it, have the capacity and find the strategies that you need for your particular campus and your population, and you can be successful. Dr. Heath, thank you for joining us on Office Hours with EAB. All right. Thank you for having me. Um, it was a great opportunity. Thank you for listening. Please join us next week when we host a conversation about racial healing and the importance of addressing institutional legacies marked by racial oppression. You won't want to miss it. Until then, thank you for your time.